Well, it was about six months into my being a plant-based eater. I was at the grocery store and I was walking by the meat department to go to another department. And it was a department that I avoided from that point forward. And I remember stopping in my tracks and I just felt all this pain and suffering. I mean, I had such a visceral response to looking at all the packaged meats and, you know, really the packaged animals. Um, and, and I stopped and I thought, how could I have been so blind? As a vegan, do you ever feel like you're living in a parallel universe, aware of things that many others don't even seem to notice, let alone acknowledge? I'm Chrissy Benson, host of the Vegan Posse podcast. We talk with vegans from around the globe who, like you, are living lives of integrity and compassion with an eye toward justice through their personal stories. You'll come to see that you're not an outlier. In fact, you're part of an entire posse of individuals who aren't just keeping the peace, they're creating it through their food choices, and beyond. You won't be saddling up, but you're in for the ride of your life. Welcome to the Vegan Posse. Hey, Posse. It's your host, Chrissy Benson. By now, you've probably heard about my novel, Marrying Myself, the anti-romance romance with a vegan twist. Well, I'm currently writing a self-help companion guide about self-love and the concept of committing to love, honor, and be true to you. I'd love to hear what role veganism has played in your self-love journey. So let me know. Shoot me a message through my website, christinemelaniebenson.com, about veganism, self-love, or anything else on your mind. Thanks, guys. Now, on to our episode. Today, the Vegan Posse welcomes Kathleen Gage. Kathleen is a seasoned business consultant, keynote speaker, author, marketing strategist, and visibility mentor. She is the founder of Vegan Visibility, a marketing and visibility consulting company dedicated to healthy living, compassion for animals, and kindness to the planet. Kathleen is the author of over a dozen books, the host of two popular podcasts, Vegan Visibility and Plant-Based Eating for Health, and a highly accomplished content creator. Having coached and consulted thousands of men and women around the globe, Kathleen has incorporated her passion for business, healthy living, and love of animals into her product and service offerings. Kathleen is committed to helping those in the vegan, plant-based, and green industries and markets gain visibility, influence, and revenues in ways that are aligned with their own passions and life's work. Kathleen, welcome to the Vegan Posse. Well, are you, ready it is. For the, are, are you ready for the ride of your life? I am. I'm just so ready that I jumped in right away. Yes, Chrissy, <laughs> I am excited to be here and uh, just looking forward to sharing my story. Well, thank you for that. Yes, you look ready and we love enthusiasm. So thank enthusiasm you. is always encouraged. <laughs> All right. Well, let's go back to the beginning. How did you grow up eating and did you think much about animals and food? You know, I thought a lot about animals and I, I actually used to rescue animals all the time. And yet I didn't really connect the dots of animals and food are really one in the same for a lot of people that we don't, we don't realize that when we're consuming meat, that we're actually consuming animal. And, um, I grew up with a mother from Belgium. She came over after the war and our big delicacy was Sunday dinners where it was a big roast beef and um, seriously, the rarer, the better. And we, are, we had a whole ritual around that and very much into eating chicken, eating fish, eating beef, um, you know, the, the usual fare. And it really wasn't until I was in my 60s that I started connecting the dots. I had heard about veganism and I'd heard about vegans, but I thought vegans were all crazy people. And now I know we are. But a good crazy. And um, really, it didn't start out where I stopped eating meat because of the animals. It was for my health. And one thing led to another. And I started really educating myself. I was shocked at what I was learning. And I actually had to go through a grieving process for how much harm I brought to the animals. Because I used to ride a motorcycle and I'd wear full leathers. And, you know, I look at that and think, wow, I was wearing dead animal on my body. Wow. Very interesting. Yeah. It takes, it takes a long time for us to connect the dots because we're conditioned to not connect, connect the dots. 
So, you know, you are so correct on that. And, and the more that I find out how much we've been lied to by big pharma, by healthcare, by um, corporations, the, you know, and just the lies that we keep being fed through advertising, through propaganda. And, and it's so interesting because a lot of people assume that you're a conspiracy theorist. If you talk about the, the bad that the corporations are doing or healthcare or big pharma, and yet when you really pull back the covers, you realize they have been manipulating and hypnotizing people for decades. And a lot of it started in the 50s. It's interesting because after the war, um, it was in the United States, it was a big deal for uh, a family to be able to have good food. And then it was women going into the workforce. And so they came up with convenience of TV dinners and then foods that would satisfy children. And it, it it's just an interesting process when you look at where it all started and when the health crisis really started with obesity. And right now with children, obesity is at about 30%. And we're talking under 10 years old. It's crazy. It is crazy. Yeah. And in fact, Tennessee, where I currently live, I believe last I checked has the highest rates of childhood obesity. We're number one. <laughs> number wow, one that's in that not category. something to be proud of, Tennessee. No, no. Well, it's like I live in Oregon and we're, I think, number 50 in education. And it's like in Oregon, really? Really? Uh, you know, and, and so there's there's times that people are leading the pack and you're going, I don't want to lead the pack with this. I, I yes. want to lead with ethics, with aligned values, with uh, leaving a good legacy. And that's, that's really what drives me today. Right, right. I resonate with that completely. And similarly, I don't want to be normal. <laughs> yeah, I don't want to be average. <laughs> and yes, you said we vegans are crazy and crazy is what it takes or crazy is how it's classified to not go along with our crazy society, at least when it comes to food and other issues of health. It is. And I, I think that that label has give, been given to vegans because there's a fear from the food manufacturers and from big pharma healthcare that if we all really woke up to what the truth is, that people would change dramatically. And and it's so interesting when I go to the grocery store, I, I always go with anticipation of getting the, the foods that I love eating, the fruits and vegetables, beans, legumes, the, the usual uh, fare. But then I am saddened when and I see the shape that people are in and um, that, and it's in many ways, it's, it's not their fault because a lot of people just don't know what they don't know. And they've been led to believe that, you know, chicken is a healthy meat. And it's like, when you start researching it, you find out chicken is probably one of the worst to eat. Um, I had somebody just today tell me that they think that they're allergic to dairy. And I said, well, you know, dairy is, is something that most people are allergic to and we don't need dairy. Uh, but we've been led to believe that, you know, milk does a body good. And, um, Beans and legumes does a body good, really. Right. Talk about connecting the dots. It wasn't until I, I went vegan. And in fact, until after I went vegan that I really, it really occurred to me, wow, it is strange to be drinking the breast milk of a different species. You well, know? When it's like, presented like that. Now, now, when did you go vegan? I was, it was in 2011. Okay. So I was in my early 40s. And what was your motivation? I had been vegetarian for quite some time, mm -hmm. but I was a pretty ignorant vegetarian. I just thought, well, sure, if it were a choice between starving to death and eating an animal, then that might be a justifiable choice. But in this day and age, how can I, how can I justify that? And right. so I was vegetarian, but then a little more information started creeping in. At first it was about the egg industry and a little bit about dairy. And I just became increasingly uncomfortable continuing to consume those products, but I really didn't want to go vegan. <laughs> I really, really did not want to, because I was a very non-vegan vegetarian, but I, I, I knew myself, I know myself, and I knew that that niggling feeling at my conscience was never going to let me rest easy. And so I Absolutely. thought to myself, I'm going to have to do it eventually. I may as well just do it now. So well, I went you know, vegan and very reluctantly. You're so right when you say the, you know, that nagging feeling that we get, because um, I think 
on some level, we we do know what the truth is, but we have so many layers of denial just as a society at, uh, at large. And we have really convenient ways to lie to ourselves and lie to others, but mostly to lie to ourselves that, oh, this one little piece of meat won't really hurt. What good is it going to do if I, you know, I'm, I'm the only one not eating meat. And it's kind of like the old overused story of the starfish, the little boys on the beach and throwing starfish back into the water. And the old man says, well, you know, what are you doing? He said, I'm saving the, the starfish. And he goes, it's not going to make a difference. And the kid says to that starfish, it did. And so for me, it's like, I'm not going to change the whole world, but I can certainly change my corner of the world and I can be more responsible for my choices. And that's how I like to approach things with people. And for me now, it's interesting. I've had my business 30 years and a couple of years ago, I completely rebranded to call it vegan visibility and it coming from a place where I didn't even want to use the word vegan. And now everything is about the vegan movement, because what I realize is that my sweet spot, my gift, my uh, wheelhouse, if you will, is helping other people who are in the vegan space to gain visibility. And I went through a period where I thought I should be a nutritionist. It's like I went and got the certification through eCornell and I thought, okay, I'm going to be a nutritionist. Me too. Yeah. I'm so, I'm so uh, impatient with people. It's like, just don't eat it. And <laughs> where marketing really fits my, my personality. And so now everything I do is really helping to raise awareness around businesses and nonprofits that are in the vegan and plant-based space. Um, and that's my gift is that's what I'm able to do to contribute to the movement, if you will. Which is a fabulous gift to be able to offer. So I want to hear, hear all about that trajectory, but first I'd love to learn a little more about you and just how you arrived at this, you know, state of vegan bliss that you're currently in. Um, <laughs> but prior to that, I, I know from some of your blogging and writings that you got sober quite some time ago. So you I did alcohol. Yeah. Did. What was, it's what was that journey like? Well, it, it's like, I just kind of got sick and tired of being sick and tired and waking up from blackouts coming to, if you will, uh, because I was one of those uh, drinkers that I didn't know when to stop. And I didn't stop until I passed out, literally. Um, my drinking literally took me to the streets in my twenties. And I look at homeless people today and I, I have a level of empathy, but I also have a level of, um, if you will, uh, being rather direct with people about, okay, you've made certain choices that have ended you up where you're at and you can make different choices to move away from that. And, you know, not passing judgment on anybody because I sometimes look at homeless people and I go, but for the grace of God, there go I, because had I not stopped drinking, I wouldn't be one of those alcoholics who dies early from drinking. I would be living in a literal hell. And I mean, I just would get in trouble. I was in trouble with the law. I had no roof over my head. I had no money to my name. I, you know, from day to day, I didn't even know how I was going to feed myself. And then I started couch surfing and it was just divine intervention that one day I just, I finally said enough is enough. And it wasn't like, oh, I think I'll stop drinking. It was like I had enough of pain and suffering and I caused enough pain to other people to finally say, I don't want to live like this anymore. And I literally was brought to my knees where I just said, please, God, higher power, universe, spirit, whoever it is, please help me. And people came into my life that guided me to the next level. And I remember early in my sobriety, it was, uh, it, it's been 39 years since I've had a drink, almost 40 years. Wow. And that boggles my mind for one, because I was a daily drinker. <clears throat> and I remember asking the woman that was my first sponsor, um, I said, how do, how does somebody get 10 years of sobriety? And she goes, you really don't know how people get 10 years? I said, no, how do they get 10 years? And she goes, okay, let's connect the dots here. It's kind of like with veganism. It's like, let's connect the dots. She goes, you don't drink one day at a time for 10 years. And I went, <laughs> wow. I mean, that truly was like a revelation to me. And what I know to be true whether it be sobriety, whether it be relationships, whether it be running a business, whether it be being vegan and making choices, they are moment by moment at times and day by day choices. We don't know what we're going to do in five years. We don't know what we're even going to do in a week. We can assume and we can plan, but the reality is, is life has a way of throwing us curveballs, and it's up to us what we do with those. 
Right. That's a great way of putting it. I'm I'm with you on also putting together the dots about the long-term consequences of our immediate decisions. And yes. to me, I realized at a certain point, well, it's not so much the speed with which I get to my end destination. It's making sure I'm pointed in the right direction. <laughs> it's making sure I'm oriented in the right direction. And then no matter how slowly I move, at least I'm I'm heading to somewhere I want to go. Um, so it's it's hard to predict, you know, long-term outcomes, but I can look at my immediate choices and pretty accurately gauge, okay, I think this will get me somewhere good. I think this is moving me forward in a, a, a way. great perspective. That's a, that's a great perspective because it's our day-by-day -day choices added up that create the life that we either are proud of or a life that we're fearful of, or we're ashamed of, or uh, one that we're saying, how did I get here? And right. in reality, I think if we just step back and we look at our life and look at the different roads that we took, we can see how we got to where we're at. And we can see that oftentimes those situations that seem the worst thing that could happen when it happened it turned out to be one of the greatest blessings. And it's not that everything is a lesson in life. And it's not that, you know, it's like, oh, it's a great day every day. Sometimes life is really tough. Recently, my mother-in-law passed away and she lived on our property. We had uh, a unit in the back of our property in mm -hmm. Oregon. And so I saw her every single day for 33 years. I've known my mother-in-law mm -hmm. and it was a very painful process to lose her. And we're still in the grieving process. Oh. Um, you know, so it, it's not like, oh, it was a great day when she died. It was like, no, it was a very painful day, but I can look at the blessings of having just a phenomenal, phenomenal woman in my life for 33 years that mm -hmm. taught me a lot about the simple things in life. She was a very down to earth, very simple woman who, um, she, she just had such a strong faith and every day she'd say, thank you, God, for this day, no matter what was happening, it was thank you, God, for this day. Mm. And I think if we can carry that attitude, things tend to work out better for us. And I, I think that in the whole vegan movement, sometimes we get really impatient. We get really frustrated. We get really angry with the fact that more people aren't, they're not aware of what's going on or they don't want to be aware. And we have to just show up every day and do what we're here to do. And if we live by example, that has more impact than trying to shame people, trying to judge people. Not that I don't judge people. I mean, I, I at one point in my life, I said, that's my religion. Judgment is my religion because I'm very good at it. But um, I think that just living by example is the best thing that we can do. Yep. Yep. I totally agree. Um, so how did you meet your wife? Well, I actually met her in recovery. We're both sober. And nice. uh, I, I remember when uh, she first came through the the doors of uh, Alcoholics Anonymous, I was like, oh, maybe there is hope here. Because I, I was talking <laughs> to my sponsor and I said, oh my gosh, I'm never going to meet anybody. And uh, you know, I just, it, it, I'm going to have such a boring life. And my sponsor said, just trust the process, trust the process. And um, we actually now have been together for 33, over 33 years. And uh, uh, we got legally married when the law was passed that same-sex couples could get married. We've had a civil ceremony. We've had a domestic partner ceremony. I mean, we've done everything we can to really legalize. Yeah. Because a lot of people, what they don't realize is that it's, you know, there's this whole thing. People say you want special rights. It's like, no, I just want the rights that really are mine because we own a home together. Uh, we have animals together. I mean, we even have it in our will that should something happen to both of us at the same time, there's a certain amount of our estate that goes to the animals so that they can be taken care of. Because oh, we wow. Have, yeah. Yeah. We, we really set that up and our financial planner knows it. Our insurance agent knows it. So it, our, our doctor even knows it. It's not something that we take lightly. Uh, we have horses that are rescues. We have chickens that are rescues. We have uh, two dogs that are rescues. We have a cat that's actually the cat came from my mother-in-law. Um, mm -hmm. That was the last thing she said. She goes, please take care of Buddy Blue. And it's like, so we we had to acclimate him to the uh, living environment here because he was used to having the whole place to himself. And now mm. he has to share. Right, right. My condolences on, on your you. mother-in-law. Thank that you. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah. And I, I lost both my parents, uh, my mom 11 years ago, my dad 13 years ago. So it, it's kind of interesting because I, I felt like an orphan not long ago. It's like, wow, I've lost my mother-in-law. I've lost my parents. Um, you know, I'm one of the oldest people in my circle of friends. And it's like, that's a weird feeling. You know, as we get mm. older, that's kind of a weird feeling. Mm. Yeah. Well, on that, on that note, how did you come to go vegan? Um, actually it was to do with my health. I was dealing with inflammation. I, uh, I was 64 at the time and I just, my body ached, my joints ached and I was sluggish and tired. And so I started reading about body aches and, and, um, arthritis. And I, I came across some stuff by Dr. Joel Furman, uh, by Dr. T. Colin Campbell, by, you know, a lot of the greats in the community. And I started reading blog posts. I started watching videos and everything indicated that if I went plant-based, um, I would get rid of the pain. And I thought, okay, I'll give it seven days. And I, I got Dr. Mm -hmm. Furman's book, uh, Eat to Live. And I thought, I'll give it seven days. And if nothing changes in seven days, that's it. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna give up my meat. And because I was one of those, why would I give up meat? I, I mean, very selfish in a lot of ways. And within two days, the pain in my joints went away. Within a few days, I was getting more energy. I was sleeping better. Um, I, I've been a runner, a slow runner, uh, on, on that note, but, uh, I usually am the last in on a race and all that, but I, I, uh, was getting a lot of aches and pains from running. And what I noticed within a week, the pains that I was getting in my legs, they were gone. And I was like, huh, that's interesting. And I was about 35, 40 pounds heavier than I am right now. In the first week I dropped five pounds without trying. Cause I had given up on diets and I thought, huh, I'll try it for another seven days. Hmm. Well, during that period, not only was I just eating plant-based, but I was getting some clarity and started really delving deep into what it meant to be a plant-based eater. And I avoided the term vegan. I would not call myself <laughs> vegan. It's like, uh-uh, it's not, it'll never happen. Don't ever say never. And um, every day I was feeling better and better. I was having more energy and the clarity was unbelievable. And so after two weeks, I thought, okay, I, I can live this way. This is a good way to live. Well, it was about six months into my being a plant-based eater. I was at the grocery store and I was walking by the meat department to go to another department. And it was a department that I avoided from that point forward. And I remember stopping in my tracks and I just felt all this pain and suffering. I mean, I had such a visceral response to looking at all the packaged meats and, you know, really the packaged animals. Um, and, and I stopped and I thought, how could I have been so blind? And I think, you know, for a lot of us, we come to that point. It's like, how did I not know? Well, we don't know what we don't know. And we don't know because a lot of times, again, we are manipulated by the media. We're manipulated by advertising. If you look at advertising on TV, you'll see on the one hand, a fast food restaurant ad. And then right after that, it's a, a commercial for diabetes meeting, uh, uh, medicine, like type two diabetes. And I get so frustrated now because I'm like, how can they do this? How can they get away with it? But my journey started for health and I, I came for health. I stayed for the animals and the environment because now I'm learning a lot about the environment. And that's what I love about being vegan now, because from that point forward, I started calling myself <laughs> vegan, but I love the fact that there's always something new to learn. And the people that I associate with now, it's unflipping believable. It's like I, I, with my podcast show, just like with yours, we, we both had some of the most amazing people on our show and I'm going to have you on my show. So I have another amazing person <laughs> on my show. Um, but you know, I, I've had conversations with T. Colin Campbell. I've had conversations with Dr. Furman, Dr. Mills, uh, you, you name it. I've probably talked to them and I produce podcast shows for other vegan businesses and plant-based businesses and I'm just like, wow, I never, never would have imagined this is where my life would end up. And it's a good place to be. I love it. I relate so much. So many of the things that were coming out of your mouth are things that have come out of my own mouth. Just, you know, that joy of discovery and there being so much to learn and it's turned into such an adventure. And then also just the caliber of the individuals that I now associate with. And, Absolutely. and historically as well, you know, Leonardo da Vinci and Tolstoy and Thoreau here and there, and just all these, all these people who I didn't used to know 
we're, we're vegan or vegetarian, or at least, you know, acknowledging that they didn't want to participate in perpetuating animal suffering. It Absolutely. Just, yeah, and I feel that's like the, yeah. I love what you said about that because that's one of the the greatest ahas I've had are the people in history who were incredibly influential in in just culture change and and um, art and science and to find out that a lot of them didn't consume any animal products. They may not have well, the term vegan I don't think even was around until the 40s. Um, and, you know, so prior to that time, there really wasn't a name for it. Um, but, you know, you you look at a lot of the pandemics that we have, those are directly related to animal products. And it, it's kind of like, you, when you look at how much information is available today, you have to wonder why people don't know. And, you know, I always find the grocery store is a great opportunity to talk to people because, uh, you know, I've, I remember one woman had a cart full of meat and I said, wow, that's a lot of meat. I said, you know, I, I'm curious, how much is meat now? Because I, I don't eat meat. She goes, you don't eat any meat? I said, oh, no, no, no. I said, I'm one of those crazy vegans. And that always gets a laugh. And then they'll ask, well, where do you get your protein? And so it's always a great opportunity to have that conversation. Right. And keeping it lighthearted is so key. You know, those, those heavy impassioned, please just don't work. They're warranted, but they, they don't work. And that's one thing that I just, right. in my activism is that the lighter and, you know, sweeter and just more, more fun and low key that right. you make it. more effective. And being willing to answer questions too. And, yeah. and, to mm -hmm. also know where to set your boundaries, because like myself, I don't buy meat for my my wife. I, I She's still a carnivore and a lot less than she used to be because I do a lot of the cooking and she works for the county. So when she comes home from work, I like to have a nice meal prepared. And I always love when I get the response. Wow, this is so good. And, and so the longer that I make that food available for her and make it easy for her to consume, the easier it's going to be for her. But one of the things we had to have a, a really a heart to heart talk about was that I was not going to go to the grocery store and buy any meat, dairy, things of that nature. Yeah, very interesting. I was going to ask you about just that, how going vegan affected your personal relationships. I had to learn to back off because I, I would make these snide little remarks. Like I, you know, one of the things that she doesn't like is when TV's on and they, they have a commercial and I go, now, did you notice what they just said? Let me tell you what they just did, how they manipulate. She goes, can we just watch TV? And it, so I've had to learn when it's appropriate to talk about something and when it's not. Um, but it's, it's also about knowing how to set our boundaries, because I know that's been a big challenge for a lot of people, especially the ones in the family who cook is, okay, I don't want to cook any meat. And yet let, let's say that a, a woman who is, has a husband and the husband says, I want my pork chops. And she's like, well, I really don't want to cook the pork chops there's conversations that you can have that might make it easier and to also see if they're, they're willing to ex, uh, explore some possibilities of plant-based meals. Yeah. I've had very interesting conversations with people, some on this podcast about how they navigated that component of their relationships. And I've just been so impressed at the creativity and ingenuity with which they navigated you know, that difference with their, with their partners or their family members. Right. Right. You know, because you have to, you're not going to toss out all your relationships, you know, just because you go vegan, <laughs> or if, if you're willing to do that, then that indicates some kind of problem with the relationship. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, and I related also to when I stopped drinking, it was like, I had to set boundaries around that. And I mm. had to let people know that it, it, certain things might make me uncomfortable. And is there a way that we can work around it? But it, it's really exciting when people do respect your, your lifestyle choices. Um, we're going to a, a potluck dinner tomorrow. And the woman that's putting on the potluck, she goes, I now make a big bowl of what you make, because there's a lot of your kind of people there. <laughs> I'm like, okay, I can do that. And so I'm going to make a nice orzo rice, uh, vegetable dish and, and just make a huge bowl of it because that really gets me excited when people enjoy the foods that I bring to a, a dinner. Yes. Yes. At that point, you can just stop talking and stop evangelizing and just absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. 
Yeah. So what different dietary approaches did you try after you went vegan? You know, the, the one that I, I just hit the ground running with was, uh, doing the, uh, Joel Furman uh, model where, you know, you have a big salad every day. And it's interesting because what happened, Chrissy, was that when I started identifying as a vegan and quit calling myself plant-based, like I went through a period where, okay, first, first and foremost, I was a plant-based whole food, plant-based, no SOS eater. Okay. So I was really proud of that label. Well, then when I became vegan, I was a plant-based vegan. Well, then it went into, (laughs) I'm a vegan. And I found myself going into some old behaviors of, well, if I'm a vegan, I can have the vegan pizza. I can have the vegan pasta, uh, the vegan cheese, uh, the vegan, this, the vegan, that. And I was starting to eat a lot of processed foods and I was feeling like garbage. It's like, you know, it's not just about not eating animals. It is about our health because if we're not healthy, we can't do the work that we're here to do. So I went through a period where I was eating very unhealthy as a vegan. And when I finally came to terms with that, it's like, okay, I need to get real honest with myself and eat a very highly nutritious diet that is about veganism, but it's also about plant-based eating. And it's about being an older woman. I mean, that I can't believe I call myself an older woman, but I am. I just turned 69. And I have to tell you, when I um, when I look at people that are in my age group and I look at what the average person deals with, whether it be diabetes, high blood pressure, uh, heart problems, stroke possibility, all these different things, uh, joint problems, I just think I am so grateful that I really found the fountain of youth because the longer that I, I have this awareness and when I do eat on the straight and narrow for me, which is a whole food plant-based, no SOS diet, The longer I do that, the healthier I get. And I don't know how long I'm going to be here, but I have a quality of life that I never would have if I was eating the sad diet. Right. Do you worry about your wife's health? I do. I do. Yeah. That it's like, and she knows that she knows that because, um, it's like, there's only so much it's, it's just like somebody who drinks and you keep saying, you got to quit drinking. You got to tweet there. The more you do that, the, the more drinking they're going to do. And so for me, I provide the foods that, um, she enjoys and she goes, gosh, I, you know, I don't get sluggish after I eat this meal. Like I do with maybe a hamburger, uh, for example. So, um, yeah, I worry about anybody that, uh, is not doing for their health, the best that they can do. Even myself, I worry about myself if I don't eat in a way that I know is really aligned with having a quality of life that it's really my choice, the quality of life I have. And again, I I don't want to be one of those people that say, well, how did I get cancer? or How did I get high blood pressure? If there's any way I can avoid it, I'll do what I need to do to avoid it. Right, right. I feel the same way. And I'm really grateful, you know, for the ownership and empowerment that I do feel over my health. And I'm big on, on those things, you know, personal accountability and empowerment and all of that. But at the same time, I recognize as, as you touched on earlier, the fact is our whole society is essentially conspiring against people being healthy you are so or correct. not intentionally. So, Well, a couple of years ago, it was interesting. We were at, um, it was the first time we went out uh, when the shutdowns happened. They finally opened up uh, uh, the, the restrictions and we went to, it was a Juneteenth uh, celebration to your Two, nearly three years ago, I guess. Um, anyway, wh- whenever it was, it was June 19th. I, I'll remember that date. Yeah. And we went to this celebration. Well, for whatever reason, there was a gust of wind that came up and one of the tents that cover the exhibitors uh, area, it wasn't tied down properly. It literally went up in the air, spun around and hit me on the back of the head. And I face planted on the cement and I broke my wrist. And oh. They, yeah, they had to bring an ambulance. It was, it was pretty traumatic, but they brought an ambulance, took me to the hospital. And when, when we were going through all the the questions that the surgeon was asking and the physician's assistant and all that, um, they were like, your, your bones are pretty strong. It's, you know, you had to hit pretty hard to break that. And I said, well, I'm a plant-based eater. So I was so <laughs> proud of that. And, and when they would ask questions, I'd say, now put in my record, she's an amazing woman. And they said, you know, we don't see people your age that come in that have bones as strong as you do, because I used to be a weight trainer too. Mm-hmm. And 
I really believe that the way I eat contributes to healthy bones, healthy blood, healthy cells. And, and so when I went through that whole experience, initially they thought it was because of my age, because as we get past the age of 60, there are certain health conditions that people have come to accept. And then when they realized, oh, you're kind of in a class all your own, and it's not through arrogance or anything, it's because I've worked for it. And so I really encourage people that if you're not feeling your optimum, your optimal self, why don't you give it a try for a week, you know, try to give up all meat and dairy for a week. And eat a whole food plant-based diet and see what happens and get the book eat to live because I, you know, I recommend that book to a lot of people. I give it to people. I, you know, I'll carry a book with me at the airport. And if I I'm reading it and somebody finds it interesting, they go, wow, that's an interesting title. I'll give them the book uh, because I feel that's a way that we can spread the message too. Agreed. And in fact, my dad read that book. He was staying at my sister's house and there wasn't a lot to do. And so I think out of desperation, he picked up that book, which I had given to my sister and he read that book. And then he also read a book called Meatonomics, which is about the government subsidi subsidies for meat and dairy that wow. basically make those products much cheaper than they naturally would be in, in a free market. And my dad read those books and he said to me, I don't think anyone could ever read those two books and, and ever look at food the same way again. Interesting. Um, yeah. And he's not, he's not vegan, but it definitely planted a seed. They've, they've made a lot of shifts and he just turned 80 last year and sees all his peers falling apart. <laughs> and he's just, his attitude is not an option, you know? <laughs> um, Absolutely. I love that because um, I don't know if you know who Linda Middlesworth is. She's 79 years old. She teaches aerobics. She's been vegan for 35 years, very much an advocate for the animals. And uh, I'd love to introduce you. She's phenomenal. And you look at her and you, you don't see a 79 year old woman, somebody who's almost 80 years old. You see somebody who's vibrant, who's got a passion for life, who's so committed to the vegan movement. And, you know, she says the same thing. She goes, I look at people my age and it's like, I don't want to be like that. And I think as we get older, we really start connecting that dot because mm. I'm a year away from 70 and at 70, you know, I, I actually went recently to go start collecting my social security benefits. I decided to wait. So I'd get them most amount of money. And I went down to social security and there was a man chatting with myself and Karen was with me, my wife. And, um, he said, well, you're too young to get social security. I said, no, no, I'm going to be 69. And this was about three months ago. I'm going to be 69. He goes, you're kidding. He <laughs> goes, you're older than me. And you look <laughs> younger than me. And I thought, you know, it, it, there's some truth in what you just said. And I, he goes, what's your secret? I said, well, you want to really know? And he goes, yeah, I do. I said, I don't eat any animal products at all. He goes, none? Where do you get your protein? <laughs> <laughs> so I find that always uh, is a great lead into a conversation by just saying, I don't eat any animal products. And they're like, well, where do you get your protein? And to truly have that conversation, because I, I don't know if this is true for you, Chrissy, but for me, when I first started eating plant-based, I didn't know that there was that much protein in green vegetables and in salads and, you know, uh, kale and all of that. I, I had no clue. Yeah. I remember long before I went vegan, I was making this, this recipe for these muffins that had oat bran in them. And I was really focused on, you know, counting my calories and fat and all of those things. And so I was analyzing the labels just to find out the nutritional components. And I remember seeing that on this bag of oat bran flour, it, you know, there were, there was fiber, there were carbs, and there was some protein, a pretty significant amount. And so that was my first inkling that, oh, protein is in more foods than just, you know, animal flesh and dairy. That was the first time that, you know, that planted that seed. And, oh, maybe what we've been taught about nutrition isn't completely <laughs> accurate. And then like you, I was astonished to discover much later you know, like you said, greens have tons of protein and of right. course, you know, the beans and legumes and all of that. So how did your health, you know, continue to feel after that 
initial week and then the following fabulous week. yeah fabulous i mean i you know i i seriously would say that i'm probably in the one percentile of uh healthy people around my age and and again i don't say that with arrogance i say it because it's a fact and when i've gone in i i remember it was three months after i became plant-based i went for a physical and it was the annual where they do the blood work and all that. And my doctor goes, whatever you're doing, you keep doing it. She goes, your numbers are amazing. She goes, they've never been this good. And she goes, I don't see people with numbers this good very often. And it's like, wow, that's, that's pretty amazing. But, um, you know, it, it's just, it's a process. And, um, I, I really encourage people if you're not feeling good, when you wake up, if you're not feeling good during the day, give yourself a break and try it, you know, just, just give it a shot. And it doesn't mean you have to do it for the rest of your life. Just try it for a while and see how you feel. And actually Linda is a, a nutritionist and um, she works with people on, in four week periods and then one-on-one -on -one monthly um, coaching. And she actually has them do a food log. And she said, people have a big awakening when they look at what they really consume, <laughs> because most of the time we have no clue, you know, a little handful of this there. And, you know, we're just putting things in our, our mouth that we're not even thinking about. But one of the things that was surprising to me when I went through the certification through eCornell were the reports. They said, follow the money on the reports, because a lot of reports like milk does the body good. That was funded by the dairy industry. You know, anything that it's all about how good beef is for people, it's probably funded by the beef industry. So if you really want to know the truth, follow the money and follow who is funding uh, any report that goes out. And in nine times out of 10, if it's for meat and dairy, it's going to be funded by those industries or by big pharma. Yeah. And the thing is too, there's so much deception, even when you do try to follow the money, like these days, yeah. I'm hearing a lot about this place called the Weston Price Foundation, which I don't know if they're on your heard of it. at all, but they're a group that T. Colin Campbell, um, you know, who you're familiar with, of course, who wrote the China study, he exposes as, you know, essentially a, a pseudo think tank that's actually funded mm. by mm -hmm. dairy. And, you know, he, they had even asked to do a public debate with him at one point, you know, to let's, let's debate these issues about nutrition. And he said, I'm, you're not scientists, you know, you're, you're a right. front group for, you know, the meat and dairy lot lobbying agenda. And, you know, I'm not going to dignify it as science. So yeah, we are really misled like actively and yeah, very strategically. So it's no, no surprise that people are confused. Right. Um, and that they're getting more unhealthy by the day. I mean, when you look right. at it, I remember growing up, you know, for us, it was like, you'd go outside, ride your bike, go down to the Creek. And, you know, as long as you were home by dinner time, life <laughs> yeah. was good. and, um, nowadays I look at children that don't even have the energy to walk around the block. And I think that is so unfair to the children. And yet, you know, when you look at how, um, how many strikes people have against them, for example, in food deserts, in uh, red line zone, uh, red zone, um, red zone areas that the government will not let uh, grocery stores into. And a lot of times it's low income areas. It's uh, with people of color, indigenous people, where they can't get access to the foods that we really need in order to thrive. When you look at the food, the uh, school system and the garbage food that kids are fed and that they have to drink their milk or their, you know, I remember as kids, we were given milk and it's like, even if you said no, they'd say, no, you have to take it. It's like, why? And they, they have, they had to give a certain number of those away in order to get funding or however it worked. But there's so many strikes against children nowadays that for parents, if you could educate yourself and really find out what's happening to your children's bodies and that children are on target to die earlier than their parents in, in the youngest generation now. And it's, it's, it's shocking. Why do we have more ADHD? Why do we have more autism? Why do we have more childhood uh, diseases that used to be reserved for adults? It's in the food. It's in the toxins that are in the food. And, you know, when people say, oh, that's not true. It's like, 
do your homework and and really learn what goes on in factory farms because that's what to me it's heartbreaking to see um what is happening to our society and how we're in a way dumbing down people because if people have foggy brains if children have foggy brains they can't study they can't learn they can't get educated i mean it's this big cycle that mm -hmm. just it's got to be broken I agree. I agree. <laughs> we'll we'll make it happen at some point. Sooner, at some point. We later, just gotta keep doing sooner. what we're doing. And what yeah. better way than with a podcast show? I mean, I love what you're doing because this gives a voice to the people that really do know what the truth is. And, you know, again, it's not that, you know, vegans are superior to anybody else, although some vegans do think they are, but it's that we we know certain pieces of information that literally can turn a person's life around in a very positive way. Um, I remember one documentary I watched about processed foods that kids were being fed. And it was this one family that had a, a child who was off the charts, ADHD and autism. And they literally went in and stripped away all the processed foods. And over a matter of about a month, his whole personality changed. And it was just, it was so shocking to see how quickly things could change, but that's kind of the challenge with our society and with people in general. We're driven by one of two things, either to avoid pain or to experience pleasure. And oftentimes it's the short-term pleasure that we want and we don't realize what the long-term pain is going to be. Because when I see the pain and suffering that people go through when they have these diseases that could have been prevented, it, it it's crazy. Yes, yes. Um, well, on a related subject, so at the time that you went vegan, you'd already been in the business world and doing business consulting for a long time. So how did going vegan affect your business path? Well, it's interesting because it, it, it kind of went hand in hand with the shutdowns and COVID. And oh. in 2020, I, you know, my business, I've had it for 30 years now. And in 2019, you know, we were flying high, multiple six-figure business, very profitable, you know, living high off the hog, no pun intended. But mm -hmm. I mean, you know, really things were going great. 2020 happened. And I I have been a keynote speaker for many years. And I used to make a lot of my money by going to conferences and speaking. Well, that all got taken off the books, mm -hmm. uh, not just for me, but for everybody that was mm -hmm. in that industry. And literally overnight, about 80% of my revenues just tanked. And I was wow. just like, yeah, I, I kind of said the same thing. And I, I thought, what did I do wrong? And I had to look at it and say, it wasn't really my fault. It was like, okay. It, and some of the things I did right was I had a nest egg. I had set myself up to where my business didn't have a lot of debt. I mean, it was, you know, I, I it made some really smart business moves because when 2020 hit, it was a very lean year for me. And I, it was a great chance for me to step back and say, do I want to retire? And I thought, even if I retire, I'll still be doing what I'm doing. What do I really want to do with my business? What's the legacy I want to leave behind? And so I basically did a lot of soul searching and that I was out on a run one day and it came to me that within the vegan space, a lot of people didn't know how to get visibility to build their business, uh, primarily like nutritionists, coaches, consultants. It's like, huh. I wonder what would happen if I worked in that industry. And I remember talking to a another uh, consultant, a colleague of mine, who said, that's going to be the biggest mistake you'll ever make, Kathleen. It's going to kill your business. I said, my business has already been killed by the shutdown. So there, don't have to worry about that. And she goes, no, I think you're making a mistake. It's not a big enough market. It's too niche and on and on and on. And going against what she said, I decided to follow my heart and I rebranded Vegan Visibility. And at first it was kind of touch and go, like, did I make the right choice? And I could hear her voice in the back of my head. And then I thought, go into it a hundred percent. Well, I got to tell you now I'm working with the National Health Association. Linda Middlesworth is a client of mine. I've got, you know, and I'm not speaking out of, out of school on this. These are clients that are proud to say they're working with me. I have all but one client is vegan. And the one client who's not, she actually is thinking of going vegan because she, <laughs> nice. she hears me talk all the time. And, and, you know, so it took a little bit of adjusting to really see if this was the right choice. But then I thought, I have such a skill that I can share with my clients that will help them to grow their business. This is what I'm being called to do. So 
Um, it was two years ago that I rebranded to Vegan Visibility. And I got that idea on a run. I thought, what's the one thing that vegan businesses need? Visibility. Oh, vegan visibility. Hmm, I wonder if the VLO is available. And, um, you know, it was just one thing. And what I did is I actually applied the very things that I teach my clients in order to immerse myself into that market and get visibility fast. And I had a summit and I brought on people like Katrina Fox, uh, uh, I'm trying to think of all the people, uh, John Oberger, um, Elizabeth Alfano. I went to people I had been communicating with and I said, hey, I'm going to do this summit. Would you like to be a part of it? That one summit put my name on the map a little bit. And then the next thing and the next. And and that's one thing I, I invite people to look at is one thing is not going to be that the the golden rod that you you need to get it's like one thing that leads to the next thing that needs mm. it leads to the next to the next to the next and it's really looking at it's not a one size fits all and you can't do just one event and and think that that's going to solve all your problems you can't write one book and think that you're going to be a new york times bestseller you have to lay a foundation and i had 28 years of foundation in place when I made that decision. So it wasn't like I, you know, I had, was brand new to business. I had a lot of business skill to take my business to where it now is. What a story. What a story. What was the name of your business before you came up with a new name? Well, the official corporation is Turning Point Inc. And I got that from oh, the, that's still the big book of Alcoholics fits. Anonymous. Yeah. And then I, a few years ago, I rebranded to Power Up for Profits and it was very profitable uh, with that name. And I did a lot of masterminds and one-on-one -on -one consulting, uh, did a lot of digital products. And, you know, it's interesting, Chrissy, because back in the day when I first started doing digital products, it was such a novelty and it was so new that if you created a digital product, you, I knew on any given day that if I did a campaign, I was going to make 20 to $40,000. I knew that, you know, it was like, wow. I, I didn't even have to think about it uh -huh. other than laying a solid foundation. Well, things have dramatically changed because now a lot of what people used to pay for, now they can get for free. So I think the challenge that a lot of business people have or entrepreneurs or solopreneurs is they are trying to use the model that worked even a year ago. And it's really about creating massive value. It's really about being an expert at what you, uh, you're doing. And it's being in the game 100%. Because if you're tiptoeing into the, the whole process of running a business, you're going to get a tiptoe result. And so my recommendation for people who are running businesses is to stay on the leading edge with understanding trends, uh, collaborating with other people to uh, find partnership opportunities and to look at what really is going on with the economy. Because right now, a big thing is AI. And some people say, oh, I'll never do AI. I, I have a friend who's a copywriter and she said, you know, that AI chat GTP, that's just a, a waste of people's time. People want real people writing their copy. And I'm like, not necessarily because chat GTP can do a pretty good job and then you can put your own flavor to it. So it's really looking at what the trends are and making sure you stay on top of the trends. That sounds like a lot. How do you figure that out? <laughs> Ooh, I think part of it is just experience and getting mentors. Like I've had some of the best mentors in the world. Brendan Burchard was a mentor at one point. I was in his mastermind, Suzanne Evans, Tom Antion. These are people in the digital marketing world. Mm -hmm. um, but I, you know, I, I've been through Tony Robbins training. Um, I believe in going to people who have succeeded and looking at what their formula is and then taking what works for me and leaving the rest. But a lot of it is you, you have to constantly be hungry for information. If, if you're just wanting to have the status quo, then that's the kind of business that you're going to have. But if you like just yesterday, I was on a training, I I've been doing email, email marketing for probably 25 years now. And wow. yet I know that I don't know everything. And so Hopin, which is a platform used for virtual events, they were doing a, a one hour training on email marketing. And I thought, you know what? I want to find out what they have to say and see if there's something I can learn. Some of it was a refresher to me. Other parts, it was good 
I was just like, oh, that's great information. And I started implementing. I think one of the challenges that I see with uh, entrepreneurs is they overthink what they're doing. It's like they want it to be perfect and nothing is ever going to be perfect. Sometimes you just have to go in there messy. And sometimes you have to say good enough is good enough and put your put your hat in the circle and say, okay, I'm going to play. I'm going to do this because a lot of times people are so afraid of being judged. And you know, I'll give you a great example when I've had clients that they get some feedback from somebody who says, you're marketing too much. You're emailing too much. You're too much on social media. And based on one person's opinion, they're going to break their whole model. It's like, no, 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 no. Let's look at your results. I have a client I'm working with right now who had never made money online. She's truly an expert at what she does. And she had somebody who gave her input about marketing too much. And I did some research on the person. He has less than a hundred followers on Twitter. He has less than a hundred people he's connected with on LinkedIn. And he has very little presence on Facebook. And he was telling her how to market. And she came to me and she goes, I think we're marketing too much. And I said, okay, let's, let's analyze this. And as it turns out, he probably was trying to get her business, you know, and it's like, so you got to really be careful of who you listen to. And do they truly have a track record? Are they truly an expert at what they do? And consider what they're saying. And if it's only one person saying it, it's like, oh, that was a good opinion. If it's a lot of people saying the same thing, then you want to definitely listen to it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So what sorts of clients do you get? And what are they looking to achieve? The, the type of clients I get are people who are very seasoned at what they do. I like working with true experts and not somebody who's just thinking of starting a business and they read a book about, you know, how to, how to write a book, let's say, and, oh, I'm going to, I, I want to grow a business around that, but they truly have the expertise. But I, I work with people who have a lot of experience, but they want to get more visibility and they want to have systems in place to automate what they're doing and to have multiple streams of revenue. And many of them are at that place where they want to have a legacy business. So they want to leave a legacy for what they've been doing. Yeah, that makes sense. And I just find it so interesting, this whole concept of visibility, which is something that I've always, I've always wrestled with. And I feel like, you know, the farmed animals, of course, are invisible to most of society. So it's just such an interesting uh, parallel to me, you know, promoting the, the visibility of these vegan businesses. Right. It's well, and, and, Go ahead. I'm sorry. Well, you know, and, and a lot of it is really figuring out what systems do need to be put in place. And I actually... Uh, it's been almost a year ago that I partnered with a woman who's out of Atlanta, Georgia. I'm in Port in uh, Eugene, Oregon, outside of Eugene, and she's in Atlanta. We were doing an event together, and we realized we work really well together. And so we've created Vegan Visibility Productions, and we work with clients putting on summits. We work with clients who want to get podcast shows started. We work with clients who want to get on podcast shows. And so we're, we're niching down even more and she's going to be uh, 69 in about a month. And so we're, oh, both wow. a year, yeah, we're both a year away from You're 70. Twins so our, almost. We're almost, well, it, it, it's <laughs> interesting because um, we, we have a lot in common. And I said, we must've been sisters in another lifetime or uh. something, but our goal is seven figures by 70. That's kind of, and are we going to achieve it? I don't know, but we're doing what we need to do to get closer to that. So we've set a really, really lofty goal and yet we're being very strategic about how we're getting there. And we have conversations about the growing pains of a business that, you know, it, it's like we have to lay the foundation. We have to gain our own visibility within the market. So it's nothing that we're just it's a pipe dream. It's a very realistic goal because both of us have run successful businesses for quite a while. That sounds like you have great, a great chance of accomplishing that. And I just, I love, I love hearing people thinking big, you know, it's just so refreshing to me and so heartening to me because I think a lot of people still have this perception of veganism as constrictive and constraining and, you know, rife with deprivation and hardship right, right. and suffering. And so just, you know, to have people on you who are just like you on the podcast who are just brimming over with enthusiasm and thank you. you know, dreaming big and not just dreaming big, but acting, acting on taking action. And, and yet, yeah. you know, one of, 
One of my favorite things to do is to dig in the dirt too. It's like, I, I love working in my flower gardens. I love working in my, my vegetable garden. I love working in my yard. And I, I'm very blessed to live in an area that's a rural community. I live across from a river and I have a very simple life. You know, it's like, I can be very um, out there at times, but other times it's like, I'm I'm so much an introvert and I love being close to, to the land. And one thing I've noticed, Chrissy, is my relationship to animals since going vegan has has changed. It's like, I just, even if I find a bug in the house, it's like I carry it outside and I put it out. And Karen even said to me the other day, she goes, you're so kind to all creatures. And I said, well, how can I not be, you know, it's like, I have to be, and she's very kind to creatures too. I mean, she, she actually is very uh, much a a horse woman. She's like a horse whisperer and she's Mm -hmm. gone on massive, massive rescues that uh, where horses are being abused. And she's been one of the people to rescue the horses and take them to a safer environment. So it, I have a lot of respect for her gift of working with animals. Mm-hmm. That's lovely. So tell me this, and you can be honest, what's it been like working with vegans as compared to the you know clients that you used to work with in the general population? Wow. That is a great question. I would say one thing is we have something really solid in common, which is our love of the animals. I mean, so that, you know, that kind of takes it to a whole different level. Um, And I think that vegan business owners deal with a lot of the same issues that carnivore business owners deal with, which is how do I lay the foundation? How do I get my business to be profitable? Uh, What do I need to learn to be profitable? So it's not like you know, it's a whole enlightened group of people as far as business, <laughs> they vegan business owners have just as many challenges. And the the big challenge that I see is, should I identify as a vegan business or not? And, you know, I'll give a great example of somebody who made that decision is doing phenomenally well is Matali, who is the vegan publisher. That is her brand, the mm. vegan publisher. And I remember having conversations with her before she really put that that stake in the ground of like, I am the vegan publisher. She was a publisher for quite a while. And I said, you know, if you identify as such, you're going to be attracting all those people who are vegans, who want to work with somebody who truly understands what their book is about, rather than going to writing a vegan book and going to a carnivore publisher. And they're saying, oh, you're talking too much about saving the animals. It's like, she really gets it. Her business is thriving and it's probably been about two years since she really identified as the vegan publisher. She had the skill set and she made the the commitment to it. So I would say one of the big challenges I see is the people, they're kind of at a fork in the road saying, do I let people know that I'm vegan? Do I let people know that I'm plant-based? Do I let people know how much I love the animals? And my answer to that is yes, because <laughs> if we're if we're hiding out, it's like, it doesn't do anybody any good because then we're an invisible community. Right. Right. All right. I've got just a couple more questions for you. There's so much more we could chat about, but we can well, we'll talk about it when time. you come on my show. There you go. There you go. Um, but as an author myself, I was fascinated to see that you've written, is it 12 books? Uh, I've actually written about 20. Now it's interesting. Oh my word. (laughs) I'll I'll tell you, you know, life has a way of doing for us what we don't do for ourselves. Before I rebranded my business, I had been thinking about it for a while because I was just, I had some, uh, I was restless and irritable and I was just like, what is going on here? And I knew something had to change in my business. Well, what was interesting is I got my whole business hacked. I mean, we're talking like literally everything, my Amazon account, my PayPal account, my Stripe account, my bank account. I mean, somebody got into my system and fortunately we got it all squared away. But like with Stripe, I had $80,000 that were charged to the account that filtered to somebody else. I mean, it was very sophisticated. So I had to shut down everything and I literally shut down and I I was like, okay, I'm done. I'm not going to do business anymore. And I I was just like, I was living in terror because I thought everything I've worked for could be taken away from me. And so I went down and talked to my banker. We tightened everything up. Everything in my business now is really, really secure. But it it was um, at that point, now, what started this? What? Where were we? I completely lost my train books. of thought. Here. You've written twenty books. Oh, okay, okay. So, <laughs> I thank you. So, I had all these books on Amazon, but I had to shut down my Amazon account. And when I shut it down, the KDP account got shut down, 
and everything was taken off of Amazon. If you go to Amazon, I think there's one book in my name. And I thought, isn't that interesting here? I've written all these books, but there's <laughs> nothing that there's no real social proof. And I've been listening to Ram Dass a lot lately. And I used to listen to him in the nineties and, uh, the early 2000s. And I remember once he said, don't be attached to the externals. He goes, be willing to let it go because that doesn't define who you are. So yes, in fact, I have written about 20 books, a lot of eBooks, a lot of physical books. I've been a co-author. I've been involved in anthologies. That's one thing that V. Lynn and I are doing right now. We're putting together an anthology project for vegan authors, but there's in some ways there's no social proof on it. And that's, that's okay. But I have written them. Yes. You've got, I can only assume you've got the documents themselves somewhere. You've got. Oh yeah. Um, oh yeah. Okay. Okay. But you know, it's so interesting because some of that, and I think the, you know, the, the whole hacking that took place is kind of a metaphor for life. Sometimes you have to shut down completely to step back and really see where you're going. And some of the, what I used to write no longer applies. It's like, mm -hmm. that's not who I am today and that's okay. And other parts of it, it's like, okay, it'll show up when it needs to show up. But as far as creating content, I mean, that's something that I love writing. I love creating content and I just do it naturally mm -hmm. and uh, because I've been doing it for so many years. Wow. It sounds like you've just got a great attitude about creativity and letting go. And Well, I, you know, I, I do work on it. I do yoga. I do meditation. I journal. I, I do the things that, that help <laughs> me to get there and yes. being vegan and free of animal and dairy in my system. That's probably the number one thing that I've done that is so spiritual. Right. Right. I, I relate to that. I feel exactly the same way. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, Kathleen, it's been lovely talking with you. I so respect everything that you're doing to promote vegan businesses in an ethical and effective way. Um, the last question I've got for you, which I pose to all of my guests, is there a particular word that for you sums up what being vegan is all about? Wow. I'd say compassion. That's the word. Yeah. Yeah, that sums it up. That comes up a lot. And again, for very good reason. Yeah, it's not not really rocket science. <laughs> no, it's not. And thank you for that question. That's that's a because it, it was just like, wow, that's a great question. And yeah, I know people can be intimidated by it, but I just I, I like to I'm a word person. I love words. I like it. Right. I, I like it. Words, so yeah. All right. Well, thank you, Kathleen. Um, we close every episode by taking 30 seconds of silence for all of the suffering animals, human and non-human, who desire, as we all do, safety, happiness, and the freedom to live out their lives without interference. So Kathleen, I invite you to join me in 30 seconds of silence for the animals, and we'll conclude with the sound of the bell. Thank you, Kathleen. And thank you, Posse. See you next time. Until then, stay strong and stay true. Thank you.